You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. have your uh, copy of God's Word today, we would encourage you to turn with us to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. John chapter 12, verses uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it didn't even dawn on me this morning till I got ready for the morning service that I forgot to put the Scripture on the PowerPoint slide. So uh, we'll ask that you will get your copy of God's Word, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a copy, there should be one available in the pew in front of you. We're going to ask if you will uh, please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. Once again, we're in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And as we get started, I want to simply say it's easy for us in life to lose perspective. Life is very difficult, amen? Life is tough. Life has a way of beating us down, and if there's anything that I've learned in life, it's, it's that, to expect the unexpected. You know, just when we think things may be going a certain way, things may turn around drastically in a moment's notice. And the way we can get through those times is to make sure that we refocus our glory. We refocus the perspective that we have because we can choose to live one of two lives, either the God-centered life or the self-centered life. And the direction of focus is, is imperative uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture today. Now we see in verse 1, On the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told Him, They don't have any wine. What does this have to do, do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. Now let me just pause a minute. Now, you hear this, and this is almost like some man saying to his wife, Go get me my coffee, woman. Now, that's not the way Jesus said that. In fact, men, if you do that, I, I'm going about bet you're going to be wearing a black eye if you were to say that to your wives. Women, amen? Come on now, amen, women? Probably get a black eye saying, Woman, go get me my coffee. So this is not the way Jesus meant this. This is an ancient way of saying ma'am. This was a term of respect, so even though it comes across as being a little uh, bit terse in our, in our interpretation, it's actually an ancient way of saying ma'am. So uh, Jesus asked, My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained twenty or thirty gallons of water. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told them, Everyone who sets out the first fine wine first, then after the people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of His signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. 
After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the power found therein. We thank you of the wonderful truths that we find in this passage of Scripture pertaining to the promise that you give us, the wonders of eternal life, and the amazing blessings that we can find by living a life in your name. Lord, we just simply ask that this morning that you take control. Holy Spirit, you just take possession of me and allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask through your Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to apply the truths that we find therein. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Life, many times, is about perspective. It's the old classic uh, seeing the glass either as half full or half empty. In fact, uh, many people today travel in many very different w ways and different manners. And, uh, and some people travel by train. And so uh, there was a story of this engineer who was uh, leading a cross-country uh, 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 track of, of passengers on this passenger train. And midway through the, uh, through the trip, one of the engines failed. And so he thought, well, there's no problem. We can still go at half power. Uh, we'll still have half our power so we can continue our track. Well, a little further down the, down the track, the other engine failed. And so the, the train came to a screeching halt. So he said, I better let the passengers know what's going on. So he uh, radios back to the passengers and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that our engines, both of our engines have failed and we've come to a screeching halt. The good news is you weren't traveling by airplane when the engines failed. So it's all about perspective. Now, if you've been flying in an airplane and both you know, engines fail, well, there'd been a more drastic situation, most certainly. But Jesus always had the right perspective. He always had the right focus. And it's an amazing thing that Jesus, the Son of God, who left the throne of heaven, as we find in the ancient Philippians hymn recorded in Philippians chapter 2, left the throne of heaven and assumed the role of a servant, the King of Kings became a servant. Isn't that amazing? That just, that just defies our imagination that Jesus would do that, and such he did. But even in his earthly life, he had the right perspective. Jesus and his disciples were invited to attend this wedding festival. And at this wedding, this wedding festival, uh, there was the first miracle that Jesus ever performed in Cana of Galilee. And we see that through this passage of Scripture... Four ways to keep the right perspective. Four ways to refocus the glory of our lives away from ourselves and to God Almighty. First and foremost, we see the refocused people glorification in verses 1 through 4. Now, John mentions the third day, and the question is, the third day from what? He's, he's connecting this back to the story of when Jesus met with Nathaniel and Philip back in chapter 2. It was three days from that encounter, which also happened in Cana of Galilee. And so Jesus and the early disciples, uh, Andrew, Peter, James, John, Philip, and Nathaniel, were all invited to this wedding along with Mary. Now Mary, Mary was a good friend to the people running this wedding. Now i got to say to you, Quite honestly, I'm going to be just honest, okay? This sounds horrible, but I would rather do a funeral than a wedding, officiating a funeral rather than a wedding. You know why? Wedding directors. 
My goodness, they can be something else to deal with. Amen. I said that to one person one time about how I'd rather do funerals than weddings. And one guy says, what's the difference? <laughs> Again, it's all about perspective. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, uh, but anyhow, it, it, but weddings, you know, it, weddings even now, they're big events. You know, they, they're big events, they're, they're something else. But in ancient times, weddings lasted for a week. You had the wedding service and the festival that went after the wedding. This thing lasted a week. And it was a very embarrassing thing for a, a host or hostess to run out of supplies before the festivities have ended. Now, Mary was a woman who knew all about being scorned. Now, Mary, if you know the story, I'm sure you do, had a virgin birth. She had done nothing wrong, but here she shows up on her wedding day pregnant. Now, do people in small towns like to talk? It was worse back then, amen? You know, we have distractions and entertainment, but man alive, I'm telling you what, you, you see a young lady riding up on a, on a donkey into Bethlehem, pregnant, and she was pregnant before she got married, and it wasn't even her husband's child. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You talk about the talk. So we don't think about this come Christmas time. Mary bore a lot of scorn when she had done nothing wrong, and in fact was the most blessed of all women in history, amen, that she was carrying God's Son in her womb, the eternal Son was, was uh, divinely implanted in her womb. What an amazing thing that was. So Mary knew what it was like for people to talk about her. Anyone ever been there? You ever had people talking about you? Anybody ever been the topic of conversation? I'm sure all of us have at some point in some time. But let's be honest. Mary knew this, and she, her heart went out to this family. She knew this family well, and she didn't want them to bear the scorn of the embarrassment of running out of the food and drink before the wedding was over. And by the way, if you were a host or hostess that time, and you talk about being talked about, boy, I'm telling you what, people talk about you. Don't go to that person's party. Well, if you have some wedding, don't go to that wedding. You know, uh, that, that, they're going to run out of supplies. So Mary had a very compassionate heart towards this family. But Jesus was directed upon the Father's plan. I've got to be honest with you, and I, and I told the 830 service, I'll tell you this as well. I'm not a person who likes controversy. I don't like conflict. I, it, it makes me nervous. I despise it. I hate it. And the people of God should be able to get along together. Amen? I mean, Jesus told us that we're to love one another... And I take that seriously. I don't like conflict, and I will go out of my way to try to keep conflict from taking place. It makes me nervous, and it's another thing, weird thing, that God called me into the apologetic ministry. But you don't have to argue and debate necessarily over that. You can present the truth. But needless to say, let me just move on from there. By doing so, many of us who don't like conflict, we, we sometimes will be guilty of being people pleasers. Amen? Anybody been there? Trying to please people to keep conflicts from stirring up. Anyone ever been there? You know, trying to do what you can to keep conflicts from taking place. But here's a problem with that. We cannot live our lives being people pleasers because if you live your life trying to please everybody, guess what? You're not going to ever succeed. Half the time, I can't even please myself. I wake up in the morning thinking I want to do one thing and I end up doing something else. So if we can't even please ourselves, how can we please everybody else? The answer is you can't. So we have to ask ourselves 
For what am I living in life? And for whom am I living in life? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and money. You can also say that you cannot serve both God and the world. Now, let me ha having said that, psychologically, people have said that there are what they call locus, a locus of identity. And this is the, the identity that we find in ourselves. Now, entertainers are wonderful people. Wonderful people. But a lot of times, entertainers have an outward locus of identity. They, they only feel good about themselves if people are thinking or saying good things about them. Amen? As long as people are saying good things about them, they have a good self-image. Okay? Other people have an inward focus of identity or locus of identity. They're goal-oriented people. Anybody like that? You, you set goals before yourself. And as long as you're accomplishing these goals, you feel good about yourself. But here's the problem with both of those perspectives. In Hollywood, there are some of the most miserable people in, in, who, who are living right now. Amen? They have fame. They have fortune. They have everything everything and including the kitchen sink but a lot of them are depressed a lot of them are, are heartbroken because of situations that happen in their lives and when and when the media turns on them which it will eventually do they don't know how to deal with that inward focused people have the same problem Tom Brady I'm not a New England Patriots fan okay just want to put that out there but Tom Brady you have to admire him he's won several Super Bowls and I remember him going on, on public television, being interviewed, and he said to the guy interviewing him, he says, what is it like winning uh, two Super Bowls or more? And he, says, I, and he said to me, he said, I keep asking myself, Tom Brady said, what else is there to life? What's next? Is this all there is? Even after winning two Super Bowls, he was still left wondering what else is there to life? Is there no other purpose to life? I want to make this argument this morning that instead of having an inward focus, just being goal-oriented, and having an outward focus, trying to please everybody, that our only focus should be not inward, not outward, but upward. Because the purpose in life, the thing that gives us hope, the thing that gives us purpose, is the transcendent God who gave you purpose. And if you focus upon Him, and you're living a life for Him, then it doesn't matter what else takes place, amen? If you're on the right side of God, then nothing else truly matters. So Jesus understood this. He lived His life trying to, uh, trying to please and appease the Heavenly Father. He tried to live His life focused upon what the Father would have them do. Number two, we see a refocused, not only refocused uh, people glorification but a refocused personal glorification. In verses 5 through 10, when Jesus performed this miracle, notice that He didn't do it to, to elevate Himself. Even though this was a tremendous miracle, He didn't do this to bring Himself glory. He didn't do this for public fanfare and fame. He actually did this miracle in the shadows. He told the servants, fill these six jars up with water, and there he turned it to wine. Now, I don't know if it was while they were taking the jars to the host that they became wine, or if they became wine the moment that, uh, that Jesus told them to pick it up. I don't know. Uh, the text doesn't tell us. But at some point in time, Jesus is working in the shadows, making this miracle come about. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting because Jesus said, my time has not yet arrived. 
Many times, tri- people tried to, uh, to, to get him to push himself to, uh, to be seen by more people. In fact, his brother said in John chapter 7, verse 4, Jesus performed a miracle. And they said, well, if you want to be seen by everybody, if you want to have a, a, a publicity, why don't you go to Jerusalem? or Rome, or Athens. Why do you keep hanging around here around the countryside? Why don't you go to these big cities and make a name for yourself? And Jesus says, my time has not come. The thing is, is when we try to elevate ourselves, we end up making a mess of our lives. Amen? Anyone been there? I remember in supervision, when I was working, working in supervision, I was working second shift. Anybody ever work third shift? Anybody work third shift in here? Bless your hearts. I don't see how you do it. I tried doing it, let me tell you what, didn't work. About crashed the forklift, about falling asleep. Even though I got 12 hours of sleep, I couldn't get enough sleep. Bless your hearts, I don't see how you do it. But, but I was working second shift, and they were doing away with second shift, so they either have first shift or third shift. And so I wanted to make a good name for myself. So I was going in there in the, in the pre-meeting, and I was telling them, we need to beat third shift. We need to put out more materials than third shift. Well, little did I realize that first shift doesn't run as many machines as third shift did. So I made, I made myself, uh, I, I became foolish because I didn't realize that, trying to make a big name for myself, I didn't realize that we don't even run the same amount of sh- machines that shirt third shift does. The point is, is when we try to elevate ourselves, we lose focus of what really matters. Our focus needs to be glorifying God, not glorifying ourselves, but glorifying Him. The third thing is we see a refocused place glorification. In verses 11 and 12, we see that Jesus did not stay in Cana of Galilee, but he went to Capernaum. Eventually, Capernaum would serve as Jesus' ministry headquarters at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. Now, I'm just going to leave you a tidbit of information here. Some people say that Peter never married. You ever heard that? Some people say Peter never married. Well, how do you have a mother-in-law if you've never been married? Now, I have a wonderful mother-in-law, praise God for, but, but you don't have a mother-in-law unless you have a wife, amen? It just doesn't work that way. So they stayed in Peter's mother-in-law's house at Capernaum. The point is that Jesus did not localize his message in one place. Jesus spread the gospel no matter where he went. And he even told the disciples whenever he ascended into heaven, he said, start in Jerusalem where you are and then go to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. The point is that we need to be about missions both home and abroad. And there's two warnings I give to people. Sometimes we get so focused on our own area that we forget about uh, foreign missions, but a lot of times places will do foreign missions and forget about sharing the gospel with their next door neighbors. May we do both. Share the gospel here and abroad as well. And last but certainly not least, we see the refocused promise glorification. Now there are some tremendous things taking place in this passage of Scripture. The number seven in Scripture means a lot. Now this is a real historical event that took place in space and time. But Here's an interesting piece of information that I come across. John is counting seven days from the time that John the Baptist was interrogated by the Jewish authorities. John the Baptist was interrogated on the Jewish author- by the Jewish authorities in uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. That's the first day. The second day, John announced that Jesus is the Lamb of God in verses 29 through 34. 
The third day, John sends his disciples, best disciples, Andrew, John, James, and Peter, to follow Jesus, where they meet up with Jesus at 4 p.m., and that's in verses 35 through 42. On the fourth day, Jesus meets Philip and Nathanael in Cana of Galilee in verses 43 through 51. Now, the text says three days later, which means this is the seventh day that John, the apostle, was counting. The number seven is huge, biblically speaking. The number seven means perfection or completion of something. Now, look at some other details that's happening in this story. Notice the jars that Jesus uses to change water into wine. He uses purification jars. And these purification jars were used by individuals where they would go through these rituals of cleaning. They would wash their hands, they would wash their faces, they would make themselves ritually pure before God before they would partake of the meal. Isn't it interesting that Jesus uses these six water jars and changes the water to wine? Now, wine also has a symbolic importance because wine represented God's blessing. Whenever there was wine in the land and when it was plentiful, it represented the fact that the people were being blessed. It also represents the blood of sacrifice. So when Jesus is taking these purification jars, these six incomplete purification jars, He transforms that water into wine. What He is essentially saying is the old manner of purification is over. As Zechariah prophesied, there's coming a day when my sacrifice will be done once for all time so that anyone who professes faith in my name shall be saved fully and completely. Isn't that amazing? Fully and completely you will be saved by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in Jesus alone. Oswald Chambers wrote, Measure every type of experience by our Lord Himself. We cannot do anything pleasing to God unless we deliberately build on the presupposition of the atonement. The atonement of Jesus has to work out in practical, unobtrusive ways in my life. Every time I obey, absolute deity is on my side so that the grace of God and natural obedience coincide. Obedience means that I have banked everything on the atonement and my obedience is met immediately by the delight of the supernatural gift of God. Understand this. In life, you're going to find disappointments. People will betray you. People will disappoint you. Life will beat you down. Sometimes families may divide. Sometimes friends may part ways. But understand, we have a God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you. It doesn't matter what mountain you face. It doesn't matter what ocean you may have to cross. God's love will never leave you, will never forsake you. And the wonderful thing about it all is even when we mess up as believers, and mess up we will, we have an advocate pleading our case like an attorney, pleading our case before a holy God. And he's better than Matlock. He's better than Perry Mason, and he's never left a, lost a case, and he never will. So if you have Jesus pleading your case before a heavenly Father, guess what? You don't have to worry about your eternity because your eternity is secure. The Bible even says we have the Holy Spirit who is praying for us. Even when we don't know what to pray for ourselves, He is praying for our behalf. So what do we have to lose becoming believers? absolutely nothing. You have the promise of eternity, eternal life and that promise will never be taken away from you. Let me close with this. 
I came across this prayer. And I have to admit to you, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I don't even feel like a Christian until I have my cup of coffee. I don't feel sanctified until about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, to be honest with you. I'm not a morning person, so I can actually vouch for this prayer. It says, Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, I have not complained, I have not cursed, I have not eaten any chocolate, I haven't even charged Amazon Prime on my credit card. However, I'm getting ready to get out of bed in a few minutes, and so I'm going to need a lot more help from this point forward. <laughs> Anyone else been able to pray something like that? We all have. So what do, we, what do we do when we leave this passage of Scripture? There are three things I want us to remember. First and foremost, realize that God and God alone deserves glory. He deserves glory more than us. He deserves glory more than our circumstances. And if we trust Him, He will receive glory through everything that happens. When tempted to appease others, ask yourself, what would Jesus say in such an instance? Whenever we, we are met with troubles and trials, ask, what would Jesus do in such a situation? How would God best receive glory through this circumstance? If you have been hurt... Look to the dependency and promises of God rather than the person and pain that you have experienced. And we can all find healing in Jesus' name. We are not meant to carry the burdens that we carry. We're not meant to carry the cross that we've been carrying because Jesus has carried the cross for us. Yes, He does say, take up your cross and follow me. He's talking about the Christian life. But we don't have to be bogged down by the burdens and worries of life. We can give them to a holy God and trust that He's going to do what's right. Because as Titus 1-2 says, God cannot lie. So if He's made a promise of giving you eternal life, guess what? It's a sure, done deal. No one can take it away. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. You may not get another opportunity to make things right with Him, so we encourage you to come and make things right with Him today. Maybe you're burdened and heavy laden by a lot of worries and concerns in life, and maybe you just need to leave them with Christ. We encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you'd like to join the ministry of this church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to come as the Spirit leads. Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We just pray, Lord, that you would use this time of invitation for your honor and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.
Bellator Christie is now on YouTube. Go to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie and catch the podcasts as they're recorded live. And you, there you can interact with the content, ask questions live on the podcast, and your questions may be included. If you don't make the live podcast, be sure to go to bellatorchristie.com and click Submit Your Question, and your question may be featured on a future article or podcast. Again, we thank you for your support, and thank you for listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. <laughs>